study the Holy Spirit, to really learn about the Holy Spirit. Uh, brother, do you have that article I handed you a minute ago? I, I wanted just to, you know, I just found this interesting that I didn't know this, but I, I was brought this article tonight um, where the policy, it's a, it, the title is Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary Policy Bans Promotion of Speaking in Tongues. So it's talking about this denominational-wide ban on tongues, and we're going to talk about tongues a little bit tonight, uh, but I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, so it is a controversial topic. Just out of curiosity, and I, I, I'm just curious, how many of you in here would say you have a prayer language? All right, how many of you do not? And, and that's okay. Now, hey, you know me, I, all right. That's about two-thirds, one-third. Okay, well, then we're going to get into this tonight, and I, maybe I'm going where angels fear to tread, but oh well, here we go. Uh, the Ministry of the Holy Spirit series, part one. I'm going to continue with these transparencies because I want you to see the verses yourself, okay? So uh, let's stand together just to read the first verse. This is the beginning of a series, and boy, this is going to be a good one, y'all. I was getting ready for not just tonight, but a few weeks ahead, and wait for next week when we talk about the personality of the Holy Spirit. It so touched me. I've never taught what I'm going to teach on next Wednesday. I've never taught on it. So this is introductory tonight. Let's read the verse, can we? Jesus talking, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you, and read this next part loud, and will be in you. And that's the incredible promise of the Holy Ghost. Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit tonight. As we begin this series, Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes, that you would help us to understand this marvelous gift of the third person of the Trinity who has come to live not just with us but in us. This Lord, this Comforter, open our eyes and help us to emerge from this message tonight with a far greater appreciation of the Holy Spirit of God. Now would you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, speak to me tonight. I lay aside all prejudices and all preconceptions and I open myself to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm going to read a little quote from Chan, uh, Samuel Chadwick, who wrote this actually in 1911. But he's just, a, he's just one of many, many people through the centuries that have written great things about the Holy Ghost. I want to read this. The gift of the Holy Spirit is the crowning mercy of God in Christ Jesus. It was for this that all the rest was. The incarnation and crucifixion, the resurrection and ascension were all in preparation for Pentecost. Without the gift of the Holy Spirit, all the rest would be useless. The great thing in Christianity is the gift of the Spirit. That's the great thing in Christianity. The essential, vital, central element in the life of the soul and the work of the church is the person of the Holy Spirit. D.L. Moody, the great evangelist uh, from the 19th century, said this, It is easier for a man to breathe without air 
than it is for a Christian to live without the Holy Spirit. So let's get an overview of the Holy Spirit's ministry. And I'm going to go through some things that, that are kind of general. Let's go through them kind of quickly, and then I'm going to home in on some stuff that I think is more important. First of all, the Holy Spirit draws people to Jesus. The Holy Spirit draws people to Jesus. I can tell you, as a preacher of the gospel, as a minister for a long time now, I started preaching when I was 18. So it's kind of staggering to me that I've been doing it as long as I have. But that makes me doing it 35 years, preaching. Golly. Y'all just give me a minute to kind of… Okay. And I can tell you that at first I thought it was my job to convert people. thought it was my job to persuade people. thought it was my job to woo people to, to Jesus. But I, I learned a long time ago something that really set me free in ministry, and that is that I can't change anybody. I could talk till I'm blue, and I can't change you, never will. But I can preach His Word, and His Spirit follows His Word, and His Spirit changes people. And so I don't try to convert people anymore. Uh, I, just, I just leave it up to the Holy Ghost. And so He draws people. Look at, look at what uh, Jesus said in John 16. When He comes, He will convict the world, that is the Holy Ghost, will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So it is the Holy Ghost. When you got saved, it was the Holy Ghost that was convicting you. The Holy Ghost led you to Jesus. You didn't wake up and have a brilliant idea to go find God. The Bible says, no man says Jesus is Lord, but by the Spirit. So there is not a soul in here who has been born again that did not reach or arrive at that condition, but with the ministry and because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's working right now in this room. He's opening our understanding to the Word. Uh, he is giving us a hunger for the things of God. He is giving us a desire to please God. His ministry permeates and infiltrates the church fully. Second thing, he's active in regeneration. That is, he brings us to life on the inside. Titus 3.5 says, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. When Jesus said, you must be born again, he said, the Spirit blows like the wind. You don't know where he's coming from. You don't know where he's going. So it is with everybody who is born of God or born again. One minute you're sitting there lost, going straight to hell, your heart darkened by sin, and the next minute suddenly something touches you, convicts you, woos you, draws you, and you find yourself calling out on the name of Christ, and in an instant you receive a new person on the inside, a new heart. And you say, how did that happen? The Spirit of God blew through like the wind. And I pray for that visit every time we meet. Now, He dwells within every believer. He dwells within. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is where, everybody? In you. He dwells within. Thank God for that. See, before Jesus died and rose from the dead and sent Pentecost, notice Jesus said in the beginning verse that we quoted, He said, He has been with you, 
but he's going to be in you. And so they knew the moving of the Spirit. The disciples had seen his Spirit moving, but it was a new covenant, New Testament, blood-bought gift that the Spirit came to live in us. Now the Holy Spirit, fourth thing, seals the believer, which signifies ownership. Ephesians 1.13 says, Having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That is such a powerful word. Uh, Ephesians 4.30 uses the same uh, word. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were what, everybody? Sealed for the day of redemption. Uh, sealed is from a word meaning to stamp with a signet or private mark for security or preservation. It also has to do with destination. You know, I, I mailed some letters today. I put a stamp on them, sealed them with the United States stamps. And that stamp says now not only have these things been sealed by the United States government, but they've got a destination. And so they've been sealed. Now see, when you got the Holy Spirit, it not only sealed you and secured you in Christ forever, but it also said destination, heaven. And so that seal on you has destined you for heaven. And Jesus said, no man will pluck you out of my hands. All right, now, um, the Holy Spirit, fifth, the Holy Spirit fills the believer, fills the believer. Uh, Ephesians 5.18 says, be filled or controlled by the Spirit. Now, I like the uh, Message Bible. I just wanted to quote this because it's so good in the Message Bible. Don't drink too much wine. That cheapens your life. Drink the Spirit of God. I just love that. Drink. You want to drink? Drink the Spirit of God. Amen. Huge draughts of Him. I, that just says it, doesn't it? You could tell that to somebody on the street. Sing hymns. He tells us how to do it. Sing hymns instead of drinking songs. Sing songs from your heart to Christ. Sing praises over everything, any excuse. Any excuse you can find for a song to God the Father in the name of our Master, Jesus Christ. Just look for a reason to sing a song to Him. You want to drink huge draughts of the Holy Spirit? You want to really have a spiritual drink? Then, then worship the Lord. Worship the Lord. That's what he's telling us. Now, the word filled, when it says be filled with the Spirit, is from a word meaning to fill up a hollow, as in a glass. It is in the passive voice. Let me tell you what the passive voice means. The passive voice means that instead of a person committing an action, they are the receivers of an action. So what he's telling us when he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, he's saying, you're a glass, you're a cup. He's saying, he's saying and, and you need to be filled, so receive. Let the action be done to you. Let, allow the Holy Spirit to fill you. So we're the receivers and he's the giver. And you don't have to make something happen. You don't have to force something to happen. It says, just let yourself be acted upon by the Holy Ghost. I'll tell you the best way to really receive something from God, relax. Just relax. Now, sixth, he tells, tells us that believers are guided by the Holy Spirit. 
Romans 8.14, for all who are what by everybody? Led, watch this now, led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. How many of you can say this week, I know I have been led by the Holy Spirit to do something? Yeah, because he's always working in the life of believers. Always. And so, he says, if you're being led by the Spirit, then you're a child of God. Now, seventh, believers are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Power. And Jesus told his, his disciples, don't even try to preach. Don't even try to go out and witness. Don't even try to live this thing until you have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. He is the power of the church, y'all. He is the power of the believer. He is the power of our prayer life, the power in our devotional life, the power in our witnessing life. He's the power that fills the church when we worship Him. He is the power. He is the, the gasoline in the church. He is the fire. He is the, he's the power. I mean, without Him, we would be dead in the water. Amen. Now, I want to also look at the prophets foretold the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the New Testament church. Joel 2, 28, 29, you probably recognize these. And afterward, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. So if you're seeing a vision, you're young. If you're dreaming dreams, you're old. I think, I think I'm old. Because when I have godly dreams, when, when God speaks to me in dreams, so the, the silver hair is, is telling on me. But I'm, so, so if you're having visions, then God's called you young. Praise God. But here's, here's what Joel, and I want you to catch this. All, all uh, comedy aside, listen, he's saying when God pours out his spirit, the nobodies are going to be moved on by God and they're going to do works of power. Your sons, your daughters, your old men, just, just your everyday folks are going to be having visions and dreams and are going to be in direct communication in a way that they had not known in the old covenant. In communication with God in a way they did not know in the old covenant. The new covenant changed everything. You didn't even want to get near God in the Old Covenant. He was scary. Read the book of Hebrews. You know, they, they said when God was visiting them, speaking from the mountain, they, they actually said, don't, don't talk to us. If we even touch the mountain, we'll die. In the Old Testament, he was God the Father. And he was, he was, he was you know, you, you were in awe of him and you kept your distance and everything was performance-based. And, and you knew as after he gave the Ten Commandments, you knew that you could not live up to it. And so you were always feeling like you weren't really cutting it with God and you were afraid of him. And you, were, you thanked God for somebody like Moses or the prophets who would go talk to him so you didn't have to. But then with the New Covenant, with the four Gospels came Jesus and he says, I no longer call you my servants, but I'm calling you a friend. And I think when he said that, I think his disciples looked at him and said, what? Say what? Friend? We can be a friend of God? And you, you don't know how foreign that was to them. 
This was amazingly foreign to them. You've got to be kidding me. Friend? You know, when I think of God, the last thing I equate him with is friend. But Jesus changed it all. So, uh, you know, I want you to catch that, that with the, the arrival of the Holy Ghost, we entered into personal priesthood and personal relationship and on a level that they did not know in the Old Covenant. Even upon the men servants, Joel says, and upon the maid servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. In other words, everybody, everybody is going to experience, people everywhere are going to experience the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel 36 said, a new heart will I give you and a new spirit I'm going to put within you and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. And how do you get a heart of flesh? I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall heed my ordinances and do them. See, they heard this and they said, wow, that would be incredible. But they, those people, Hebrews tells us, they died in faith, not having received the promise. They were waiting for the Messiah to come. The Messiah had to come and die and rise from the dead for this to be real. Now, the New Testament gives example after example of people receiving the Holy Spirit. The day of Pentecost when the Spirit fell, that was the big one. Here is where God poured out His Spirit. And folks, this is when, and remember I told you this, now mark this in your theological brains. When the Spirit fell, the church was born. When the Spirit fell, the church was birthed. This was such an amazing event. Acts 2, 4, we've all, I put it in the Amplified Bible because we all know it, but I love the way the Amplified put it. And they were all filled, diffused throughout their souls with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other, different, foreign languages, tongues, as the Spirit giving them clear and loud, or kept giving them clear and loud expression in each tongue inappropriate words. So the church was born that day. It says that in Samaria, as the book of Acts continues, and the book of Acts is really the acts of the Holy Spirit. We call it the acts of the apostles, but it's after they finally got zapped. <laughs> Let's face it, Peter is, is hiding behind locked doors until the Holy Ghost falls. The rest of them are, are trembling in, in the shadows until the Holy Ghost falls. They're saying, I don't know him. They're, they're, they're distancing themselves from him. They are not reaching anybody or influencing anyone for Christ until the Holy Spirit falls. And I mean, when the Holy Spirit fell, it's, you're talking night from day. I mean, you're talking about black and white. You're talking about a huge. I mean, they became giants for God after the Holy Spirit fell. And the same Simon Peter that was hiding in the shadows stood up and preached a sermon that saved a thousand people per minute. Because 3,000 were born again. You can read his sermon out loud, it takes you three minutes. So a thousand a minute saved. And he wasn't afraid of what anybody thought. What turned him into that lion for God, the Holy Spirit? Amen. And it says that uh, in Samaria, then they, they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit in Samaria. 
Paul received the baptism of the Holy Spirit after he believed. It says in Acts 9, 17, so Ananias left and went into the house. He laid his hands on Saul, who was blind, as you remember, and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you along the way by which you came here, has sent me that you may recover your sight. And say it with me, everybody, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what happened to Saul after he was filled with the Holy Spirit? He shook the world. So the book of Acts is the Acts of the Apostles, but it's after they got it. I really think it's the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. Now, in many instances, those that received the baptism of the Holy Spirit spoke in tongues. Here we go. Everybody say, look at your neighbor and say, uh-oh, here we go. Okay. And those of you listening by radio, pray for me. <laughs> there are two kinds of tongues in the Bible. Earthly dialects, formerly unknown to the speaker. And this is what happened at the day of Pentecost. They had not known, they did not know the languages that they were speaking. And when they spoke supernaturally, they spoke earthly dialects they had never learned. It would be as if the Spirit of God fell upon you tonight and you spoke, uh, you, you spoke in uh, Greek. You spoke in Greek and you've never learned Greek and you spoke in fluent Greek. And I, knowing a little smattering of Greek, could tell that you were speaking in good Greek. I say, that's a miracle. But see, here's why God did it. Because people from all the nations of the world were gathered for the day of Pentecost. And God was testifying through these unlearned, blue-collar, primarily former fishermen, blue-collar workers. Suddenly the Holy Spirit falls on them, and they are speaking in dialects they've never learned. And so there was no way around it. This was a miracle. And what was the Spirit of God saying through them? It was preaching Jesus and preaching the wonderful works of God. So they came under such a, an anointing, such a, a, they were so caught up in the power of the Holy Ghost that it loosed their tongue and they spoke in earthly dialects they'd never learned. Now me, with my, the way my mind reasons through things, the minute I said two words, I'd be stopping and analyzing it. What did I just say? And I wouldn't be able to flow with it. But they got so caught up that they were just carried away by the Holy Ghost and they declared the works of God in foreign languages. Isn't that amazing? Now the second kind, and here's where my, my precious Baptist brethren and some very good people will part ways with me on this one. And so you need to know that some people who really know their Bibles disagree with what I'm about to tell you. Okay? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you go pray about it. And if you've never uh, experienced a prayer language, you're not looking at a, a man who would ever, ever try to force you to do any such thing, uh, to uh, tell you that you didn't have the Holy Ghost if you don't speak in tongues. I think that's just loony. I'm just going to be honest with you. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. Uh, I know that and I want, I'm going to turn this off so you won't be reading it because I'm going to talk to you for a minute. I know that we've got a, a, a two polar opposites in this room. Some of you are, were raised being taught that if you were truly saved and had the Holy Spirit, it was necessarily followed by the gift of tongues. And if you've not spoken in tongues, you don't have the Holy Spirit. Some of you, others of you were raised 
being taught that the holy uh, or that tongues are no longer valid, along with many of the other gifts, that it passed away with the first century, that it was a first century manifestation of the Holy Spirit for the purpose of establishing the church and establishing the gospel. And after the apostles died, it passed away with them. You know what? If you, that's what you think, I res, you know what? I respect your right to think that, and I'm not here to in any way poke fun at either side. I'm letting you know that I'm in the middle. I don't believe either of those two extremes. And I'm going to tell you why. And you need to also know that um, when I was going through seminary, my Greek teacher and I got in a serious disagreement one day about tongues. And he challenged me. Now, let me tell you something, folks. You haven't lived until you are looking across at somebody who can read the original Greek manuscript like the newspaper. And they're telling you this is not right. And I said, well, you know, I've had a prayer language for years. But Jeff, you're just basing it on experience. You can't base uh, your truth on an experience. It's got, to be, it's got to be based on a Bible fact. And you can't prove this in the Bible. Now, the word for tongues is glossolalia. And it comes from two words, glosso, glosso, G-L-O-S-S-O is the transliteration from the Greek. Glosso Glosso just means tongue. If I was talking to you in Greek and mentioned your tongue, I'd say glosso, it's your tongue. Laleo, laleo is to speak. So when you say glossolalia, you're saying speaking in a tongue. Now, here is what he did with me, my Greek professor. He said, Jeff, when you start with Acts 2.4, and it says that they spoke in tongue, glossolalia. He said, obviously, that was earthly dialects because the context tells us it was earthly dialects. He said, now let's pretend that that, that word in the Greek language, glossolalia, glossolalia is an animal print and we're gonna, or an animal track, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna track this animal through the book of Acts. And he said, every time it's mentioned, glossolalia, it is in the context of earthly dialects. You can't prove to me otherwise. He said, now you go home and you dig into your own Greek and you come back and you tell me. Well, at this time, I had a prayer language for, Lord, years, 25 years when I'm hit with this. Because folks, let me tell you something. I believe that the charismatic movement by and large is is, is wonderful, except that we need sound scholarship. We really do. We need, because you can't go say, well, you know, I've had this experience, but when you look in the Word of God, it's just not there. You can't tell me, well, you know, me and my, uh, me and my boyfriend or girlfriend are living together because we're in love and we just feel like the Holy Ghost has told us it's fine. Oh, you'd be surprised how often I've heard that. <laughs> And, and we've had our own ceremony between us and God. Oh, I'm sure you have. Yeah, yeah. So, so we know that this is okay with God. We don't need a piece of paper. We've got the, the witness. But see, I look in the Bible, and I don't see that. I see that that's fornication. And if it's not fornication, 
then there ain't no fornication. I meant to talk bad. Because fornication is sex before marriage. Well, if you can go and say that, well, the Spirit of God has given us a peace, then where in the world does fornication ever come in and why does the Bible condemn it? So see, we've got to be a people who flow in the Spirit and love the Lord and operate in the, the gifts, but we need Bible foundation. If you can't point to it, then I'm telling you tonight, be wary of it. Or next thing I know, you'll be telling me you're off dancing with angels somewhere. You think I'm kidding. I'll tell you what, I've been around long enough to have seen just about everything. So I went home. And I started looking it up. And I found that there was only one place in the New Testament where we can hang our hats on there being a heavenly language. One verse. And I went back there with that one verse in fear and trembling. I said, I think I found this. <laughs> and it truly cannot be, in my opinion, refuted. Now, I'm going to show it to you, okay? He says in 1 Corinthians 14, 2, For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God. This is Paul talking since people won't be able to understand you. Now, everybody, let's use our noggins here. He's telling us that there is a prayer language that people are not going to be able to understand, but God will. So, this cannot be talking about an earthly dialect. The animal print changes here. Because he says tongue, glossolalia, there it is, glosso, tongue, laleo, talking. You will be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will all be mysterious. I said, oh, thank you, Jesus. Because now, see, I'm reading this in the original language, and I was looking, because he made me do that. Now, the Message Bible, I had to put this in because it was good. If you praise Him in the private language of tongues, God understands you, but no one else does. For you are sharing intimacies just between you and Him. Now, He's talking about when you have corporate meetings next. So, we're, when we're meeting like this. But when you proclaim His truth in everyday speech... You're letting others in on the truth so that they can grow and be strong and experience His presence with you. Now, there you have it. And that's the only place. That's the only place that you can positively point to something other than an earthly dialect. Because he was right. Every other place, you cannot prove that it was not an earthly dialect. Now, let me just talk about this gift for a minute. Paul asked this question in 1 Corinthians 12, 30. Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? You read the next three words with me out loud. Of course not. 
Now here's where I'm going to part ways with my Pentecostal brethren and my Assembly of God brethren, and with all respect, really, because I, you know, I can be wrong. Anybody can be wrong. And I'm going to, I've already parted ways with my Baptist brethren by saying that I think 1 Corinthians 14.2 is talking about a heavenly language. If men can't understand it, then we are not in Pentecost there where everybody's understanding. This is different. We are worshiping God. We are talking to God. But do I think that everybody has got to have it? Say the last three words with me. Of course not. Now, Pastor Jeff, I was raised being told that if you had the Spirit, you spoke in tongues. You were raised wrong. And I'm going to tell you why. Don't you dare tell me Billy Graham didn't have, wasn't filled with the Spirit. And Billy Graham has never spoken in tongues. D.L. Moody, who reached most of the Western world with the gospel, never spoke in tongues. If you want to talk about some of the great church leaders of history, they did not speak in tongues. But don't even, don't, don't um, um, insult my intelligence or yours by telling me that they didn't have the Spirit or they weren't saved. That's just, that's just, folks, that won't hold up for even a microsecond. There you have it. Of course not. Not everybody does. Now, can somebody, if they want to? Yes. Yeah. Now, boy, it's gotten quiet in here. I hope you don't leave the church over this. Because, because look, this is, first, this is not a major issue. And I'm going to be honest with you about something. Anytime I've ever seen a church make this a major issue, they did not fare well. Because this is not the major issue of New Testament Christian living. And if you make it that, you're majoring on a minor. Don't do that. The main thing, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians, is that we clearly, articulately preach the truth. You don't build a church on tongues. You build a church on the gospel and on clearly understood truth. Come on, everybody. But now let's look at what he said about it. It's used as twofold, as already mentioned in private prayer between the believer and God. 1 Corinthians 12.30 says, He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. That's what it says. And then in corporate gatherings, 1 Corinthians 14.27-28 says, If anyone speaks in a tongue, is everybody supposed to be speaking in tongues all at once? Never. No. Why? Because they're going to be looking for that sign that's hanging right there. <laughs> and is that what you're supposed to be doing? You're supposed to be reaching people, not scaring them half to death. Now look what he says. He says, let there be two, or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there's no interpreter, let him keep silent in church. And let him speak to himself and to God. You probably don't know it, but there's a lot of times during church that I speak in my prayer language. 
but I don't get on the microphone and belt it out unless I think there's going to be an interpretation. Because we're not supposed to. Well, I was just caught up in the spirit, Pastor Jeff. The Bible says the spirit of prophecy is subject to the prophet. So he doesn't come and grab a hold of you and squeeze you so tight that you you scream out and you can't help it. We're supposed to balance flowing in the spirit with knowledge and wisdom. Now look at this. Uh, He says in in chapter 14, verse 40, Paul exhorts, let all things be done decently. And how, everybody? In order. Now, why? Well, here he answers in 1 Corinthians 12, 1. Here's why. My friends, you asked me about spiritual gifts. All right? So he opens up chapter 12, verse 1 by saying, you've been asking me about spiritual gifts. Paul was giving the Christians in Corinth some guidance that they had asked for. He corrected a mistake they were making. They had been seeking the gift of tongues, but they were misusing the gift. Read it. Now, he says, look what he says. Your worship services do you more harm than good. Ever been in one of those? Boy, I have. I was looking for that sign. Because, listen, when, we, when you've had a good worship service, here's how you ought to leave church. Praise God. I feel like I could take the world. I'm exhorted, I'm comforted, I'm fired up, I feel, I feel encouraged in God. You ought not walk out with a great big question mark and all troubled in your spirit and vexed. So he says, your worship services are doing you more harm than good. I'm certainly not going to praise you for this. These tongues weren't helping the congregation. He says, if you speak languages that others don't know, God will understand what you're saying, though no one else will know what you mean. By speaking languages that others don't know, you help only yourself. So, Paul said they didn't have to stop speaking in tongues, but he did want them to turn their enthusiasm into more helpful channels, either by interpreting the unknown sounds or simply by speaking words that could be understood. Listen to chapter 14, verse 23. So where does it get you? All this speaking in tongues no one understands. It doesn't help believers, and it only gives unbelievers something to gawk at. Where'd you go last Sunday? Oh, I went to that church down the street, the, the, the Spirit-filled one. What'd they do? Man, I'm telling you, it was crazy, baby. They were talking and they were making sounds and utterances and screams and shouts. And I tell you what, I I got out of there as quick as I could. Here's what should have happened. They should have been convicted of their lost condition and been saved. And he's saying this is not going to happen if everybody's speaking in tongues. All right, now watch. Plain truth speaking, which is prophesying, on the other hand, goes straight to the heart of believers and doesn't get in the way of unbelievers. If you come together as a congregation and some unbelieving outsiders walk in on you as you're all praying in tongues, unintelligible to each other and to them, won't they assume you've taken leave of your senses and get out of there as fast as they can? This is the Bible I'm quoting. But if some unbelieving outsiders walk in on a service where people are speaking out God's truth, the plain words will bring them up against the truth and probe their hearts. Before you know it, they're going to be on their faces before God, recognizing that God is among you. When you make sense. I couldn't be bigger on this myself. 
I think you ought to be so clear and so plain with what you teach and what you preach and what you say that anybody can get it. Well, let's just, hmm. Yeah, let me just continue on down the road. We're almost done. Everybody happy? So, so I want you to take what I just said about tongues. You go pray about it. Those of you that have never spoken in tongues, fine. You have the Holy Spirit if you're saved. But if you want to, you can ask God and He may give it to you. But I'm not going to grab you and put you in a headlock and tell you to say, I love my Honda real quick until you get it. Say, I love my Honda real quick about three or four times and you'll kick in. I love my Honda, love my Honda, blah, 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 blah. Uh-uh. No. That is an atrocity. You think I'm kidding. <laughs> I wish I were. I've seen it. Love my Honda, love my Honda, love my Honda. If God needs you to say you love your Honda to get you talking in tongues, let's go home and watch reruns of I Love Lucy because it's all over. But it happens all the time. Unfortunately, that kind of thing happens. Nobody needs to be told what to say to kickstart a prayer language. How to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let me be clear. You receive the Holy Spirit the moment you're saved. 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Nobody can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And we have all, everybody say with me, all. Everybody saved has been made to drink into one Spirit. If you're saved, you're drinking into one spirit. Romans 8, 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is simply not his. But for Paul, it was a second and an ongoing experience. For the Samaritans, it was a second and an ongoing experience. And for the Ephesians, it was a second and an ongoing experience. Now, we're almost done, so hang with me because I'm going to cover something I think is real important. I do not argue for a second experience per se. A lot of times we'll get a hold of somebody that's been saved, maybe for a long time, and say, do you want the Holy Spirit? Folks, that's just bad doctrine. If they're saved, they have the Holy Spirit. Whether or not they speak in tongues. Come on, because look, I'm just re- that's why I have it up here. I want you to see it. According to Paul, we are supposed to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. So instead of me telling somebody who's been saved for years, you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, I approach it very differently. I say, are you doing what you ought to be doing to experience the infilling of the Holy Spirit? Because it's not just... We can't live in one experience somewhere back there. How many of you have ever known somebody that got baptized in the Holy Spirit, but they're living like hell today? Come on. The issue is not what happened once or twice back here. It's do you daily, are you being filled ongoingly with the Holy Spirit?
According to Paul, the believer will be filled with the Spirit about as much as he wants to be. How filled with the Spirit were you today? I'll answer that for you. As much as you wanted to be. So was I. If I spent time with God, let's just look at it. How do you experience the ongoing filling of the Holy Spirit? You prepare your heart by repentance. Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And you shall receive what, everybody? The gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is released in you and me when we repent. That's the first thing. No repentance, no infilling. You will never be filled with the Holy Spirit with unconfessed sin. Never. Understand what the Bible says about it. It's biblical. It's necessary for abundant Christian living. And it's true for today. For the promise Joel said... The promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, and that be you. You're the ones afar off, way down the tunnel of time from Joel's day. But the promise was for you to be filled with the Spirit. You must hunger for it. Jesus said, Blessed is he who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, for he shall be what, everybody? Filled. Ask God for it. Listen here to Luke. 11.13, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who what? Ask Him for it. And then finally, you practice the Christian disciplines that position you to be filled. You're going to be as filled as you want to be. And I'm going to read it again here. He says, you want to be filled with the Spirit? Paul wrote to Timothy and said, take the time and the trouble to keep yourself spiritually fit. Take the time and the trouble. Well, you know, I just kind of cruise and cruise control all week, and I come to church Sunday and just believe Pastor Jeff's going to preach me up, and Steve's going to sing me up. And then I go out with a full tank, and if I really got to be there, I'll come on Wednesday night and get refilled if it's a really tough week. But when it comes to your daily life and nobody's looking and you're home alone, that's when you ought to be filling the tank and doing... And doing what he says, singing hymns instead of drinking songs. Booze plus blues equals heartache. (laughs) Sing songs from your heart to Christ. Sing praises over everything. Any excuse for a song to God the Father in the name of our Master Jesus Christ. You want to be filled with the Spirit? That's what you do. If you don't do these things, you're not going to be filled. There's a leak in the boat. You don't have to work up an emotion. You don't have to make anything happen. The Holy Spirit is not received after many years of struggle. When you got saved, you got him. You were baptized in the same spirit I was. But it's what you do with it after that that makes all the difference. A simple yielding to God with thanksgiving and praise postures you to receive. Now, I hear the wheels rolling, because I know that some of you were raised on two of the opposite extremes that I mentioned. You know what? Just take this and go chew the meat and spit out the bones. If you think I'm a heretic, you're wrong. (laughs) No. Uh, You know, God gave me a prayer language and before I knew that it was wrong. But I sure have never felt that everybody had to have what I do. And maybe I needed it. Maybe I was in more need than other people. I don't know. But don't worry about it. 
uh, here at this church, if you have a prayer language or don't, you're welcome. It makes no one inferior or superior. I've known people that spoken a prayer language. Huh. You just wondered about them. They were unstable as water. And I've known people that have never had a prayer language that are like rocks spiritually. And I've known the opposite as well. It's all out there. I just wanted you to see it. So let's stand together. I know we went a little bit long tonight. Was everybody blessed? Okay. Uh, next week, the personality of the Holy Spirit is great stuff. Father, we thank you for the incredible gift of the Holy Spirit. What a wonderful gift. And we thank you that he's dwelling within us now. And that we have been sealed. And we are heaven bound. We thank you, Lord, that whether or not we have a prayer language, we have the Spirit of God praying inside of us for us. And we thank you, Lord God, that you've given us the green light to pursue spiritual gifts if we want to. Thank you, Lord, for the flow of the Spirit mixed with wisdom and knowledge. Bless every listener tonight. In Jesus' name, with your peace. Amen. All right, we got food out there that's free.